do with it. So what they did is they took any mission agency. We don't normally do this, but this is one of these things that just God did. And uh, we'll take advantage of it. Said, we don't care what your name is. If you represent Christianity, take over the schools, take over the hospitals and do whatever you want to do. Well, here's what happened is those that are working with the schools, it's in French, ordered several million copies of this 65-page tract, which is in essence an outline of The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. If you do not know what that book is, it is from the creation to the cross, and it is chock full of biblical references, and it is thoroughly biblical from beginning to end, and they are going to use it as a textbook in the Republic of the Congo. I'll tell you what, you just don't plan stuff like that. It just doesn't happen that way. And here's the other thing. He said, I guess you're going to ask how we got it printed. There is a company in Northern Ireland that said, if you want them printed, we will print them for you for free. We will provide the paper for free and we will ship them for free. This point, they are in route. They are being shipped. What a praise just to to see what God does. Um, And uh, what you need to know is it wasn't even in English. And about Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Peter uh, ordered two cases of them for Garden Chapel. We're going to use them on our outreach ministry. I plan to use them with the Garden Tractor Pole Outreach. uh, And they will be available for you to use in evangelistic efforts in your own personal lives. So just want to tell you that it's something that's great. It's something we need to praise the Lord. And I have to tell you. If you were not paying attention to the words of that last song, you need to go home. No, don't go home. But you know what? It's set up for what we're going to do today. It's the gospel message in one song, verse by verse. And I really appreciate us singing that and uh, looking at it. It's a, a great song. It's a relatively new song, but a great song that just lays the foundation of everything we believe and why we worship God and why there's a difference in our lives. Today, I'd encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 4. You may think it's a little weird. Uh, Russ, could we get the slides up? Okay, thank you. Um, You may... Oh, young people. Kindergarten through third grade. I'm sorry, I got all excited about the men's... You're dismissed for junior church. Thank you. All of the moms that have kids that age were not going to let me get away with that one. So, um, anyway... I appreciate those that uh, do minister our young people. And you look at that crew. In fact is, you know what? Kyle Lee, half of the crew came with you. I'd like you just to stand up right where you are and pray for our young people and those that are teaching them this morning. Would you do that, please?
Yes. Amen. Okay, thank you, Kyle. Genesis chapter 4 may seem like a wrong place to preach a sermon from if you're celebrating the Lord's Supper. I beg to differ. I believe you will agree with me by the time we were done. I call this true worship, willful rebellion. You may know if you've looked ahead or you know Genesis chapter 4 is the beginning of the story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. One who truly worshiped God and God accepted his offering and one who willfully rebelled against what God asked him to do. With that in mind, and that as a background, we're going to look at what it says. And by the way, when you look at the rest of the chapter, and we're only going to look at eight verses of this chapter today, but when you see the rest of the chapter, you're going to go, I know where that saying, why do the wicked prosper, comes from and where it started. Because when you look at the culture and the accomplishments of the line of Cain, you're going to go, Wow, that should have been the godly people doing that. But the truth is, the people of this world do accomplish a lot of things. But ultimately, what they do not do is worship God and don't have a relationship with Him. That's much more important than even the things and the accomplishments and the achievements of this world. We're going to begin looking In verse 1, and if you would follow along, please, we're going to see what it says and how it applies to our lives as well as our worship this morning. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. This is the way of multiplication. Before this, remember, the two people that were in the world before this did not come by this way. Adam was created from the dust of the ground, and Eve was created from his rib. So no other children had ever been born in the normal way before. So we now have the way of multiplication. This is how God is going to fill and replenish the earth as he had told them to do. And it absolutely started with one person. That person was Cain. His word means a possession or something possessed as in, uh, this is my spear. Why is that important? Because in the chapter before this, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God had made it very clear to the woman that her seed, singular, would bruise the head of the serpent. Excuse me. Bruise the head of the serpent. And so she, I believe, and we got to be careful not to read into the Old Testament text what we know from the New Testament. But she named him, and every name has a purpose and a meaning. She says, this is my possession. I believe she thought that he may have been the seed itself or in that line in that direction. We don't actually know. But she named him that on purpose. Remember, earlier, after Adam and Eve had accepted the skin coverings that God had made for them... Adam named woman, that's who she was before that, named her Eve, the mother of all the living is what her name means. 
Adam believed God's promise that there would be a seed come from her. And he said, this woman is the mother of all the living. Now, when she has her first son, she says, I have gotten, with the help of the Lord, a man, a man-child. But what is it? It's an act of faith. As we will see later on in our sermon, this whole chapter is based on several things. One of them is, one offering was an offering of faith, the other was not. One was according to God's plan, the other was not. One was accepted by God, one was rejected by God. There are blacks and whites. This world will tell you everything but that. They will tell you that you can come to God any way you want. Think about any religion, any sect, any cult... Any philosophy that you can think of other than pure biblical Christianity, you can come to God however you choose. It's up to you what you want to do. God will accept you. As long as you're sincere, you're okay. That is not true. There is nothing in here that says Cain wasn't sincere. But God rejected his offering and you say, well, that's not fair. How would he know? Wait till you hear the rest of the story and you will find that God absolutely gave Cain a second chance. And Cain willfully rebelled against the command of God. So we start with Cain. He is the one that begins all of it. He is that living one. And there are some things that are going around today that says, well, he was the seed of Satan. And I'm not going to get into it. If you want to know more about it, I can tell you. But they say, well, Cain was bad news and Eve had a relation with Satan. And that's the result. It is not. The Bible is clear. Cain's father is Adam. Anybody that tells you different, they've got it wrong from the very beginning. Uh, It's just not true. But it goes on to say in verse 2, and again, there's a repeat of what's already gone on. There's one child, and now there's a second. She gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks. Abel's name actually means vanity or emptiness. The way she looked at it is Cain was the one that was the focus. Abel is just, he's just added on to this. That's the, the sense that you get from the text. But it is obviously not going to be that way because it goes on and we see the way of Cain. <clears throat> because after she gave birth to both of these boys, and we don't know, there could have been other children in between, sons and daughters, and we know that from chapter 5, verse 4, that Cain and Abel absolutely had other sons and daughters. We don't know other than the first two. We don't really know what the order was after that. We just know that there was at least one more boy by the name of Seth, but we won't see him until the end of the chapter. But now we get 
to this whole thing. Is there a way that God says is right? And is there a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is death? The answer is, yes, there is. There is black and white, and God will be worshipped the way he chooses to be worshipped. We don't decide what it is. Remember, Christianity is God-centered, not man-centered. It gets whole congregations in trouble because it's my preference, what I think, what I like, what I want. Whoa, stop right there. It is, what does God want from us? The whole world's got a problem with it because they've been taught you can serve God any way you want. God says, not a chance. You need to come and fellowship with me the way I choose. Remember, from the very beginning, God made us in his image. That whole idea of image is that we can communicate with him. We can interact with him. We can worship him. And he will speak to us also. This offering is going to be one part of that. Just like when we receive the Lord's Supper. It's one part of our worship. We don't decide that we want to do something else and replace this with something else and say, well, this is worship also. That's blasphemous because he told us this is the way to do it. He didn't give us a multiple choice answer. He wants us to come his way. And it goes on to say that Cain was a tiller of the ground. And verse 3, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. You say, okay, I see no instructions before this of what you should bring as an offering. And I would agree there are no explicit instructions before Genesis chapter 4 of exactly how you worship God when you bring an offering doesn't tell us that. But here's what we do know. We do know that the first animals that were sacrificed were not even sacrificed by a man, but they were sacrificed by God. We also know the first way that man tried to deal with sin was his own way, fig leaves. So from the very beginning, Adam and Eve knew, and we believe that they would have passed them down to their children, and even if they didn't, we'll see later that Cain still has no excuse, is that there's a way that seems right to man. It is not right, but there's God's way of doing it. Fig leaves representing man's attempt to cover his sin and shame. God's way, shedding blood, which covers sin. See, we live in the New Testament. We live in the church where we have the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Old Testament has a different word. It's the word atonement, which simply means to cover over. Animal sacrifices never took away sin. They covered them for a time. Until you sinned again, then you had another sacrifice. But it was God's foreshadow of what Christ would do. He is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. God himself, who took on a body and died for us. 
But we see that Cain brings an offering. It's the best that he had uh, on his own, and he did uh, that. <clears throat> but it says in verse 4, Abel on his part also brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Same word is used both times except one is positive and one is negative. God accepted one, rejected the other. Now I have to tell you, if you do something and you think, I did this for the Lord and God is saying to you in your conscience and from the word of God and... It's real obvious. That wasn't honoring to the Lord. Don't sit there and fight it. That's exactly what Cain did. He knew that God didn't accept his offering. And instead of saying, hey, God, what did I make a mistake? Did I sin? Did I do the wrong thing? He refused to repent, which simply means change his mind. He decided he's going to do it his way. And that's what gets him in trouble. That's willful rebellion. And then notice one, two other things here, and that is this, and I'm going to flip ahead here, is um, that, <clears throat> excuse me a second. Let me do this and then I'll quit fighting. Is the offering and the person are considered as one unit. They're considered one and the same. Notice what it says. That it's Abel and his offering. Cain and his offering. You cannot play two sides. You cannot have the six days a week Mr. and Mrs. Jones and then the Sunday morning Sue Smith. It doesn't work that way. What you do with God and how you worship God should cover everything. Your life should be consistent. You cannot put spiritual things here and I'm going to put secular things here. God doesn't operate that way. My life should be a reflection of my relationship with God. And the offering we bring indeed does represent you. Here it says, and from the very beginning, it's one unit. He sees you and what you do as the same thing. You cannot separate it. We're not schizophrenic. We have, and we don't have split personalities. We have what we are who we are. And by the way, whether it's accepted or not. The second thing is, the type of offering does have significance. You say, how do you prove that from this text? At this point, you still can't. But as we go on, you will see that God made it clear to him that something wasn't right. I believe he should have known it ahead of time. Even if he didn't, God gives him a second chance. But the offering we bring is indeed significant. You say, well, hold it. And later on in the law, there were grain offerings and those kinds of things. And the answer is yes, there were. But none of those offerings were ever the basis of our relationship with God. That is always based on shed blood. Always has been, always will be. Never changes. Whether it was the skins of the animals that were slaughtered to cover Adam and Eve or whether it's the blood of Jesus Christ that we celebrate today. 
It's always the blood that is the payment for sin. Never the other offerings. Also, there is a marked difference in God's response. I already said this, but I'm going to say it again because it needs repeated. And that is this. God says there's a right way to come to me and a wrong way. Religion is not it. A relationship of faith, trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for us today is that. In their case, it was coming by a blood sacrifice. This is simply the foreshadow of what Christ would do for us in the future. And the motive of the person is key. In this case, the motive is faith. And you go, it's not there. I don't see it. You're right. We can look back because we know what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. You can turn there if you choose, but I'm just going to simply read it. And it says this. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. You can't say that in the New Testament if God hadn't made it clear to them. It's Cain, you're not, you didn't bring the right offering. So I can say, no, Cain doesn't have an excuse wasn't just simply a mistake on his part because he made it clear. Cain, wrong offering. On the other hand, Abel by faith brought that offering. He took God his word, did what God asked him to do. Cain knew the truth and refused. That makes him a willful rebel. Also, one other thing that's true. We don't know this about Cain's offering. We don't know, was it the first and the best? But here's what we do know about Abel's offering. And this one applies to every one of us. And it started way back, right after the Garden of Eden. Right with the first two uh, brothers. He brought the first of his flock and the fat of his flock. The law says the first and the best. The choice first fruits. That's always what we give to God. If you're here and you go, you know what? I had some time left this week, so I'll go to church. You got it backwards. If you gave in the offering, and I hope you do, and you said, well, I paid all my bills and there was something left, so here, God, here it is. You got it backwards. Because God always says, you put me first. I don't care if it's your thinking, your time, your availability, your talents, your gifts, whatever it happens to be. God wants us to give the first and the best. has to be by faith. It's not just, I went through the motions. If you're here today, uh, you're going to hear me explain about the Lord's Supper. But if you're not a believer and you drink some grape juice, uh, grape juice and, and eat some matzah, you've gone through the motions of a ritual. I'm not going to do you one bit of good. If you're here and living in sin and you go through the motions anyway, uh, you're eating and drinking judgment onto yourself. See, going through and doing the right motions or the right ritual is not enough. It has to be by faith. Trusting that this is what God has asked me to do and doing it in obedience to what he has asked us to do. And so we find that there is a motive, there is a right way and a wrong way, and even when you do it the right way, it's to be the first and the best. 
Those are principles that are carried out through the rest of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In fact, is in Jude chapter 1 verse 11, it says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. For they, for pay, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Notice the company that Cain keeps. Balaam and Korah. Error and rebellion. He knew what was going on. God made it clear. And you say, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked because I've kind of left it there for a while. But let's continue on as we look at the third point this morning. And that is the way of sin. Any of you, have you ever had your parents or you as a parent ever said, will you kids quit raising Cain? Oh, man. Oh, somebody did. Okay, a few of you old folks. The rest of you, I have to educate you. Did did anybody ever hear the the phrase raising Cain before? Okay, it simply means you are just going and doing whatever you want and causing a lot of trouble. That's all that it means. And it comes from this passage, and Cain rose up when he killed his brother. In other words, it caused a lot of trouble. So raising Cain. My mom would say... You boys quit raising Cain and quit fighting and wrestling. And if you're going to fight and wrestle, go out in the barn and fight and wrestle. Now, if we would have went out there and started fighting, she still would have been mad at us. But nonetheless, uh, I heard that more than once. I had two brothers and, well, we raised a little Cain every now and then. Got in trouble. Well, Cain is going to cause the trouble. Look what it says. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. The word countenance has to do with the way you look. This morning I walked in there and uh, into the building this morning and one of the ladies that comes to the early service, I looked at her and said, you look like you've had a hard time. She says, oh, yesterday was horrible and yes, I've had a hard time. I didn't know what she did yesterday or what happened yesterday, but it showed on her face. Her countenance showed that. Countenance shows if you're happy, you're sad, you're angry, whatever it is. It shows. The inside comes out. And Cain was so angry that he wasn't fooling anybody. It showed on his face because that's what it is. And he was furious because God had rejected his offering. And what do people do when God says you were wrong? I'll tell you what they do. The first thing we try to do is minimize our sin. We try to say, ah, it wasn't so bad. And compared to so-and-so, I'm a saint. That's what we do, right? I do it. Hopefully I don't carry it out. But in my mind, I'm going to be honest with you, because I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. If I get in trouble because I said or did something that was wrong, immediately I want to minimize it. Second thing, it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. I wasn't responsible. Hey, he does exactly the same thing that mom and dad did. Remember? Adam says to God, the woman, blames it on Eve, that you gave me. He doesn't only blame his sin on Eve, he blames it on God. God, if you wouldn't have given me a wife, I'd be okay. (laughs) 
So he blames Eve. She says, oh, the devil made me do it. No, she didn't actually say that, but she said, the devil deceived me. You know what? They carried on exactly the way their parents did. They wanted to blame it on somebody else. And then it goes a step further than that. And you've all been the brunt of this at one time or the other, where somebody got themselves in trouble and they took it out on somebody else. And you know who they take it out on. The person that's close by. You get splattered with it. In this case, it goes way beyond that because the way of Cain, the way of sin, not only blames somebody else, but it's like, get rid of the person that makes me look bad. Do you ever notice when you take a stand for Christ, you get picked on? I remember when I first became a Christian, I was not a great witness or anything like that, but my life did change. And guys at work, I worked construction, they say, oh, is that the way a Christian acts? You want to punch them? I didn't, I didn't punch anybody. But you want to. It's like, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, I don't even hardly know what I believe yet. But I know there's something different. But they saw it. And if something went wrong, it's like, oh, is that the way a Christian reacts? Is that the way a Christian thinks? Is that the way they, they do? You know what? It's what happens. We blame somebody else. And what, why do they do that? Because they are living a debauched life. And you make them look bad. Now, you didn't intend to do that. But let's face it. If you live for Christ, your life is a shining light. And your example shows them up. Here's what happened with Cain and Abel. Abel did what was right. God accepted his sacrifice. It was the first and the best. It was an act of faith. And Cain was told, "Uh, I don't accept yours And instead of saying, God, what do I need to do? (laughs) I got to change my mind. God, what do I do? He takes it out on his brother. And in this case, sin really does have deadly consequences. Because it doesn't say he blamed Abel. He just needs to get rid of that guy who made him look bad. And that's what he does to Abel. He is raising not a little cane, but a lot of cane. But this is where I like what it says, because God always covers all the bases. And here's what it says in Genesis 4, 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? In other words, Cain, what's your problem? I don't think he's asking Cain to give an answer. It's a rhetorical question. Cain, Why are you acting this way? Now, God couldn't ask that question if Cain didn't already know that he was wrong. And let's just assume that he didn't know he was wrong. God goes on in verse 7 to say this. If you do well, and he already knows one sacrifice or offering has been accepted, the other hasn't. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, won't there be this big change? Won't you be like your brother Abel? And I'll accept your sacrifice or your offering. And so he comes to him and says, Cain, get it right. Repent. By the way, if you won't change your mind, here's what's happening. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. It wants to take you down. 
At this point, God is being loving and gracious and merciful. And you put any other word that you want in there that says God goes the second mile with us. Because that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, Kate, I'm giving you a second chance. You don't need to be angry. You don't need to be flying off the handle here. You don't need to look like death warmed over. You can change. But he was unwilling to do that. That's why I called it willful rebellion. It wasn't ignorance. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't, I just got a little wrong. No. He absolutely would not listen to what God had to say to him. Verse 8, we will finish with, it says, Cain told his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Instead of repenting, instead of recognizing that, that God had rejected his offering and wanted him to get it right, instead, it says that he told his brother uh, Abel. We don't know what he told them. Seems like there's two possibilities. I think the first one is, hey, Abel, why don't you come out in the field with me? I want to show you my crops. I think that's probably the context, the best. Or it could be, he said, I can't believe this. God rejected my sacrifice, my offering. We don't actually know because it doesn't tell us, but it goes on to say, and when they were in the field. So I think the first one is probably the better way to look at it. And so he calls them away from where they were living out to where nobody else was because let's face it, sin loves darkness. It loves to be away from the spotlight and all those things. And he wasn't willing to shed blood to offer offer an offering or a sacrifice, but he was willing to shed his brother's blood to get rid of him. How about that? Do you ever notice sin make, and the reaction to sin never makes much sense? The fact is, it makes no sense at all in most cases. And that's exactly what he does. He's not willing to say, you know what? I will barter with my brother, get a lamb, and I'll offer a lamb as a, as a sacrifice, but he'll kill his brother. You see, it wasn't that he was a little schemish with blood and he didn't want to do that. No, he simply wasn't willing to be obedient. He wasn't willing to repent. He was indeed a willful rebel. How do I know that that's correct? Because I read the rest of the chapter. And those that follow after him act just like him. Goes downhill morally and spiritually. Today, when we come, and the men can gather if they would please, as we come before the Lord's Supper, this is the Lord's Supper. It's not the Supper of Garden Chapel. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, welcome. But there is a stipulation. Because it says that before we partake of the bread and the wine, we are to examine ourselves. To see... Am I really living in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ? Am I living in fellowship with those around me? Those that I have a relationship with? Am I living in known sin? If you are, confess it. And if you need to get it right with somebody else, vow before God that as soon as you're done here, you're going to get on your cell phone or you're going to go to their house and get it right. On the other hand... If you just say, you know what, like Cain, 
I'm going to do it my way. I don't really care if I'm in fellowship with the Lord. I'm just going to do it anyway because somebody might see me not taking communion and think less of me. First of all, I don't look over anybody's shoulder. And the, the praise is at Garden Chapel, and this is a praise, there are people that every time we have communion do not participate. I don't look down at that person because I say that person's being honest with themselves. They know they got a problem and they haven't dealt with it. Praise the Lord. Because if you just go on and celebrate the supper and act like it's okay, go through the ritual, and you're out of fellowship with God or out of fellowship with man, you're eating and drinking judgment unto yourself. God takes that seriously. Now, nobody's going to question you. If you need to talk to somebody, I'm, I'm here. I'll be glad to talk to you, help you to deal with this, whatever the problem is. But the truth is, we are to examine ourselves and so eat of the, the bread and drink of the cup in a worthy manner. You see, it's being hypocritical if you proclaim his death till he comes, which is what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, and at the same time live in known sin. It is just a pure contradiction. Oh, you can go through the motions and nobody will know here. But you know and God knows. And so I encourage you as you come, just bow your heads as the men come forward. If there's something you need to deal with, deal with it now. Do not uh, eat and participate in an unworthy manner. As we come before the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask Brother Craig if he would thank the Lord for Christ's body that he gave for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming uh, from heaven, condescending down to us, lowly man, that we might have a sacrifice that is acceptable unto God to cleanse us from our sins. And uh, as Paul pointed out earlier, the sacrifice and the person are one, and in Christ... Uh, trusting in you. We can be one with you, one with the Father. And that's just an amazing thing. And so uh, just thank you for being willing to come and to shed your blood that uh, we might know the Father and might call you brother. Thank you in Jesus' name.
The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. I'm going to ask Brother Scott if he would thank the Lord for his shed blood. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your willingness to come for one central purpose, for the shedding of your blood, for the remission of our sins, Lord. Thank you for that ultimate act of love, for our benefits solely. We just Mm -hmm. thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from it, all of you. If you would please rise as we are dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, from the beginning, you have ordained that blood was the payment for sin. It was given for that very purpose. And we thank you for the precious, spotless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. Thank you that that is the beginning and the strength that we need for every step of our Christian lives. And I pray that we would not only examine our lives today and worship you with a clean heart, but Father, we would realize that you've made it possible for us to live a life that's worthy of what Christ has done for us every day of the week, every moment of the day. Help us. Guide us, strengthen us to live to the fullest for your glory, the exaltation of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and obedience to the Spirit in the week ahead. And We thank you for reminding us of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.